0: So good day to the church, tonight we will be looking at Mark chapter 13, verse 24 to 27. But just to have a good understanding of the surrounding context, we'll start from verse 1 and read to verse 23, and then we'll read 24 to 27. And the day again here in this passage is simple. Jesus will come again. Now if you have spoken to an older unbeliever, a person who has heard the gospel before, they have heard about Christ and about their sin and about their need to repent and turn to Christ and how Christ will come again. Many mock this because they would say they were hearing this from young. That Jesus will return. And now they're full, cool. Christ hasn't returned as yet. However, for us who are believers, we know that God's word is true and we know that He will come again. So our thoughts this evening will be: how does knowing that Christ will come again in us, in our walk? So just a bit about the background of the Gospel of Mark, by way of reminder, the Gospel of Mark is written by Mark, he's writing to predominantly a Gentile church who was living under the rulership of Caesar Nero. Now if we think about church history, we know that Nero, he was a wicked ruler, he was a tyrant who persecuted the church. Now what Mark seeks to do here is encourage the brethren by reminding them of Jesus' promise, how he will come again. And he looks at, right here he looks at Jesus' conversation at the Mount of olives. And the conversation that's happening between Jesus and the disciples in verse 24 to 27 is also known as the Olivet Discourse. So unlike doubting unbelievers' response to Jesus' promise of his return, there is future hope found in the words of Jesus, not only to these Gentile believers, but to us, who are living in the 21st century. Now we'll read from verse 1 to 23, please follow along. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "Look." And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial, and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents, and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where you ought not to be, let the reader understand, then you let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his food. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in the winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation that has not been from the beginning of creation that god created until now and never will be and if the lord had not cut short the days no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect whom he chose he shortened the days and then if anyone says to you look here is the christ or look there he is. Do not believe it, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead us astray, if possible, the left. But be on your guard. But be on guard, sorry. I have told you all things beforehand. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We pray pray as we dive into it that we would not harden our hearts. If we are to be corrected, let us be corrected. If we are to be rebuked, let us be rebuked. We thank you for your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So we read to verse 23. We're going to read 24 to 27 now. But verse 24 is a turning point in the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. So we see that between verses 1 to 23, it tells of a bunch of bad news. First, we see that the temple will be destroyed where the Jews usually gather. This is followed by prophecies of wars, natural disasters, persecutions, and even false messiahs to seek to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. The situation that the believers are facing here seems quite grim, yet, in verse 24 to 27, we see a glimmer of hope. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, and with great power and glory. And then He will send all the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. So, in verse twenty-four, we see a transition from tribulations to basically better days. Our hope for the disciples. Unlike the views that were surrounding the abomination of desolation, if it occurred or when it would occur, from verse 24 to 27, commentators agree that this here is speaking about the second coming of Christ. So notice there's a clear distinction here being made between the first advent or when Jesus first comes We see from reading scripture that prophecies and even the early aspects of the gospel tell about how Jesus would come. And it's quite different in comparison to what is shown here at Jesus' second coming, or what we might call his second advent. Jesus' first coming was unlike that described by the second in verse 24. It speaks about the sun being darkened about the moon no longer giving light, about the stars falling. Synoptic Gospels, such, The Synoptic Gospels such as Luke states that the sea would be roaring and people would be fainting in fear. These acts basically describe destruction. All creation will bear witness to the return of Jesus. During the first coming in Isaiah chapter 7 to 11, or even Isaiah chapter 9 to verse 6, Jesus' birth was that like any man born of any woman. It was a natural birth. His first coming, he was small and frail, a mere baby, and his parents had to fled to preserve his life. Yet, in Jesus' second coming, we see the power and the might of God. In Jesus' first coming, he was a lamb led to the slaughter. But in his second coming, we see that he comes to wage war with flames, with flames of fire in his eyes. These descriptions... Or what is said here in verse 24 to 27 is a sobering thought to both believers and unbelievers. Believer, Jesus will come again to wage war against all those who are evil. He will come to give justice to those who seem like they have escaped it in this life. But most of all, he would also come to... For those who remain in their sin people rejoice when they see a judge do that which is right persons don't get angry or think that is unfair when a judge j- judges the one who is guilty likewise when the judge of all the earth returns we who are his will rejoice to see our savior but we will also rejoice to see the judge do that which is right. Examining the passage and placing ourselves in place of the church that Mark is writing to, they would have felt despair towards the hardship that was coming, as described in verses 1-23. to But now, joy was found from verses 24 and onwards, knowing that the king of kings would return to give out justice. Believer, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope in the words of Christ. Throughout a believer's lifetime, as Pastor John already mentioned in one of his sermons, A believer is either entering a season of hardship or they're in a season of hardship but not at the second coming. There will be no longer persecution, no longer sickness. There will no longer be hardship. Only joy and redemption will await them when Jesus returns for those who are his. Any true believer, they long for this day. A true believer looks forward for the return of Christ. If you are a believer or a professing believer, yet you do not long for the return of Christ, it might be due to the fact that you enjoy more of the world more than you do Christ. It might be that you are ignorant of all that Christ promises at his return. Or possibly you fear hell and judgment, but you don't necessarily love Jesus. Just as a man who finds treasure in a field, sells all that he has to buy the field so that he may access the treasure, one who knows and loves Jesus and sees him as his treasure will love to be with him. Anyone who loves Jesus must hear father and mother. Wife and children, brother and sister, these are the words of Jesus. He even continues to say, Man, he must even hate his own life, or not he's not fit to be my disciple, as Jesus mentioned in Luke 14, 24. Rightly speaking, this verse is speaking about the cost to be a disciple. How one should be willing to go against those who are dear to their heart to be obedient to Christ. Just as to obey Christ should obey opposing feelings or desires from the heart, to be with Christ should far surpass whatever relationships we have here and whatever life we have built for ourselves. We might say, we might not say this verbally, but in our hearts we might think of this. God, you just bless me. You just gave me a new promotion, a new job. I just inherited some money i just added a new family member to my family i want more years not no. our joy to be with king jesus should obey the temporary things even if they are good gifts enjoy god's good gifts yet our longings to be with jesus should be greater than placing our hearts on temporal things while we are here on earth. But there is a parallel to this passage. There is sobering thoughts even for the unbeliever. In the Gospel of Luke, it spoke about persons being fearful at the return of Christ. Unbeliever, I want to be up front with you. Those who remain in their sin, those who do not turn to the Christ and flee from the sin, from their sin, those who serve other messiahs, those who are of other faiths, whether it is Muslims or Hindus, are those who serve false Christ. Only despair will be found at the return of Christ. There's no light at the end of that tunnel. Do not believe the lie of the Jehovah Witness, which states that hell is just a place where you will go and you will die in a one time instance. That is false. Revelation chapter 14 verse 11 speaks about hell being eternal, and those who are in hell will be there forever, that the fire burns both day and night, and that there's no rest God is loving, but God is also just. Many times we like to speak about the Jesus who fed the 5,000. The Jesus who heals the sick and raises the dead. But when we speak about Jesus at his second coming, we don't don't like this Jesus. That Jesus is quite mean, but this Jesus is the Jesus of the Scripture. This Jesus is the Jesus that existed within the Gospels. Because Jesus said... Fear not the one who kills the body, but fear the one who kills both body and soul and sends them to hell. At the return of Christ, every knee will bow. Men will not fold their fists at Christ and seek to oppose him, but they will know who the king of kings is. We have an example of destruction coming and a man preaching in the book of Genesis at the time of Noah. Noah warned persons about the destruction that was coming. A destruction that they had never seen. How the earth would be flooded. And this happened and the wicked were destroyed because they did not give heed to Noah's warning. Jesus' second coming has similarities to this. Maybe you have heard the gospel before. Heard the gospel being preached time and time again. But like those in the days of Noah, those persons, they harden their heart and you continue to harden your heart and continue in your sin. I won't turn to Christ. I'm warning you today, meet Christ as your savior and not your judge and executioner. Jesus will have you if you come. The gospel states that Christ Jesus died for the ungodly, not for the righteous, but for sinners. Turn from your sin. Know that there's nothing that you can do in yourself. There's no other messiahs. There's no other saviors, but there's only Christ. There's only the blood of the lamb. Christ will save you from your sin if you place your faith in him. And as stated in verse 27, he will gather you from wheresoever you are. The final point here continues to give hope to the believer that we will be saved from destruction, yet it also encourages our evangelistic efforts. God has his elect. God has chosen all those who will come and who will be saved. If there were no elect, if God was not sovereign over salvation, nobody would come. Speaking hypothetically, if Christ died for our sins, yet God did not draw, he did not regenerate, he did not elect, All men will stay in their corner. They will stay to their sin because men are bent towards sin and destruction. And they hate the light. So understanding that the Great Commission will be successful. Understanding that all those who are his will be saved. Knowing that God will lose none. Should that then cause us to say, well... The great commission will be fulfilled, so I don't need to go out there and proclaim the gospel. God is sovereign. Should the doctrine of election stop us from evangelism? And the answer is no. What then should it do? It should encourage us to evangelize more. Despite hardships, despite tribulation, despite persecution that we will face, God's sovereign hand is at work throughout the earth as we work. This example is not perfect, but I will use it. If we were playing a sport and the game was fixed, I like remember we talk about the game being fixed, I mean that the referee, he possibly can be cheated and you are going to win. So the game was going to be fixed. You don't strike back But it increases your confidence in the task that is at hand. God's assurance to gather the elect. The great commission will be fulfilled. The assurance that none will be lost is a greater assurance than a fixed game. Believer, you can stand before your opponents and proclaim the gospel of Christ and know that it is possible for God to make believers out of persons who were once his enemies. Of persons who were once persecutors of Christians. And we know this because we were all on the opposite side of the fence. God's elect are from different spirits throughout the world you and i do not know who they are yet we do know believers will come from different areas throughout the earth the call is to go then to them understanding that the great commission will be fulfilled you will be successful he will gather all who are his jesus will save all who are his from this sin infected world and deliver justice. Unbeliever, I pray that you will meet Jesus as Savior and not as judge. God does not delight in the death of the wicked, as Scripture says, but wants the sinner to turn. God has shown His love for sending His only begotten Son, Christ Jesus, to die for sinners. All who come He promised to never cast out.